Oh, well, yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I mean, I, you know, you see we keep it as a, a criminal justice issue and not an actual a health issue. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we we one of our episodes that we talked to Johan Hari, who has an amazing book, Chasing the Scream, and talks about, you know, Rat Park. And I thought that was yeah. just such a great example of, of you know, you'd put rats in, um, you know, a, a you know a cage and you give them regular water and a water with cocaine. And they, after a while with nothing else around them and kind of, you know, obviously going through their own mental health issues, just being stuck in a tiny cage with no activities, they start going for the cocaine water and finally they would, they'd overdose. And then they created Rat Park, which is, you know, everything the rats would ever want, anything that a rat would ever want. And they stopped going to the cocaine. This is the Knocking Doors Down podcast featuring celebrities, experts and everyday people who have overcome adversities, including addiction, mental health and trauma to live purposeful lives and that's what knocking doors down is all about this is the knocking doors down podcast my guests are gray glod and clayton english more on them in just a second but while you're checking out this episode hit subscribe if you haven't already share the podcast with someone that'll get value out of it and hey check out the archive of amazing guests we've had charlie sheen Twice, Edward Furlong, Kat Von D, Bam Margera, Brandon Novak, Kelly Osborne, and so many more amazing people sharing hope and inspiration. So Clayton English and Greg Glaude are the co-hosts of the War on Drugs podcast. It just came out. Now, they couldn't be a more odd couple as uh, Clayton is an award-winning stand-up comedian and won The Last Comic Standing. Greg Glaude, a criminal justice fellow for Americans for Prosperity. They're two totally different people, but with one same mission to uh, bring some light to the war on drugs. We get into harm reduction, the fentanyl crisis. We also talk about the targeting of different, uh, well, okay, people got incarcerated based on ethnicity related to the drug that they used. We'll get more into that, so check it out. And uh, hope you get a lot out of it. And Greg and Clayton are definitely feeling that they're doing a big purpose with the podcast. Speaking of purpose, how about a lifestyle brand with purpose? 5150 LTM. That's right. Not only is it a lifestyle brand that can fit whatever it is you're trying to achieve in life, but they give back to the community. Right now, I am wearing my new 5150 hat warm leather jacket as well i got my new 5150 joggers on that i like to wear around the winter time and you the listener of knocking doors down get 20 percent off every time you shop at 5150 ltm all you have to do is use the code kdd20 at checkout and get 20 percent off and of course i said it helps within the community and how does 5150 give back to the community Portions of the sales benefit the Carlos Vieira Foundation. There are three amazing programs, the Race to End the Stigma, which focuses on mental health, the Race for Autism, helping families in the community who have children that have special needs and are on the autism spectrum scale, and the Race to Be Drug-Free, providing free after-school athletic programs to the youth within our community keeping them off the streets, away from gangs and drugs. More on the Carlos Vieira Foundation, go to carlosvierafoundation.org. Welcoming to Knocking Doors Down, the host of The War on Drugs, got Greg Glaude on here, also Clayton English. Gentlemen, uh, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having us. Appreciate it, Jason, yeah. 
We're going to get into all this stuff, of course, uh, as of uh, this, everyone hearing this, the podcast did just drop last week. I got to ask, why stand-up comedian? Of course, Greg, I know you went to school for to be a lawyer, correct? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, he he, he is what? <laughs> he, he is. Yeah, I, I practiced for a little bit, and after about a month in, I was like, yeah, this is, this is not for me. I don't <laughs> want to be this person, just kind of looking at all the other attorneys that are in their you know 50s and 60s i was like eh, that not for me so i decided to get into public policy after being um a clerk for a year and then i was an attorney for about a year after that and uh got out as fast as i could <laughs> screw that <laughs> yeah uh so i gotta ask though i mean the podcast is great i got a sneak peek of it and i, I just it wasn't the oh i like two minutes of this i listened to the whole thing um how did you two guys come together, two totally different worlds, to really tackle this thing of the war on drugs? Man, um, they reached out to me, and I think it's just two levels of expertise, man. This guy has all the legal knowledge and his life knowledge, and he understands the policy and he understands the procedures and those things. And for me, it's just being a stand-up comedian, that's all I do is talk to people. Right. So... I've talked to everybody from people that used to be addicts, that's current addicts to everybody. And I've, the war on drugs has affected me in my life. And that was something I said in my comedy. And it happened to be on my first album that I released. And I think that's one of the things that, that they mentioned to me when, you know, they were reaching out. And I think it was just one of those things where you put something out there and you do good work and it kind of comes back. And it was something I was passionate about. And anytime I get to learn some like new stuff about a topic I'm interested in. Like the way you said you listen to the whole episode, like I was in there the same way. Like I didn't know what was coming. I didn't know these stories. I didn't know these things. And it was so much perspective because it was just pieces that you were able to put together and you understand why things are the way they are. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Greg? I mean, I know a policymaker, but why really tackle the war on drugs? Yeah, you know, it, it kind of started for me when I was in law school. You know, my, my dad was um, a police officer, a secret service agent. Um, and so, you know, I've always had that kind of, you know, upbringing of, you know, you lock them up, throw the key, you do your, your thing. And, you know, the bad guys go into jail and, you know, that all's well in the world. And you don't think about the the other side of it once they go into prison, what that does to the family, what that does to them. What does that do to someone that you know, is addicted, um, you know, what the criminal justice system and prohibition has done. It just, you know, didn't cross my mind. Um, and then I worked in the the pardons office um, while I was in law school uh, during the Obama administration. And I started seeing these petitions of, of, you know, someone that, hey, I was an Iraq war veteran and I tore my ACL. I got strung out on pain pills. They started shutting down my prescription medication. And so I robbed a couple CVSs. Um, and now, you know, he had a mandatory minimum of 50 years. I remember that case very vividly. And I, there was letters from judges, from his wife, from his three kids that he was probably never going to see again outside of a, you know, a visitation center. Um, and I go, this, you know, this guy did something wrong. Um, he needs to be taking personal responsibility for it, but I don't understand how having this individual in for 50 years is really helping him, his family or his children. It just, it struck with me and it continued to strike with me and, you know, as as I became a recovering attorney and tried to kind of move into a public policy standpoint rather than, you know, doing civil litigation and divorce law, which, man, um, that oh. is, that's a <laughs> you think the criminal justice system's bad. <laughs> wait, wait till you go into a family court. Yeah, um, I, uh, I have. That's why you said you were a recovering lawyer. Yeah, recovering lawyer. Yeah. Um, 
So I, I found an organization uh, that right on crime that was, you know, working on this issue. Um, it, it seemed a lot of the things that I was thinking of. And I decided to move from Annapolis all the way out to Austin, Texas and start in this policy world and um, finally got to work with Stand Together and work as a, a fellow where I do a little bit of advocacy and research and, and things like that. Um, and really, that's where my passion for the war on drugs and how prohibition has you know, really made, um, you know, our society, our criminal justice system, um, you know, actually less safe, um, more retributive and, you know, costing everyone, not just the people that are involved in the system itself. Yeah, it's gotten to a point of ridiculousness. And I'm, you know, as I was mentioning you guys beforehand, work for a nonprofit. So I'm pretty passionate about that and everything from, you know, it, it, for me, tell me your perspective on this, because Clayton, you said it affected you personally, too. But me, recovering addict, I know it was a matter of my mental health. There is no way you welcome a disease into your life or cannot do not have the skill set. I did not have the skill set to fight off this, even coming from a background of addiction. And so it gets me a little angry that it is not approached that way more frequently with the judici judicial system. Oh, uh, well, yeah, no, I know. I totally agree. I mean, I you know, you see we keep it as a, a criminal justice issue and not an actual a health issue. And, um, you know, we, we, one of our episodes that we talked to Johan Hari, who has an amazing book, chasing the scream and talks about, you know, rat park. And I thought that was yeah. just such a great example of, of, you know, you'd put rats in, um, you know, a, a you know, a cage and you give them regular water and uh, water with cocaine. And they, after a while with nothing else around them and kind of, you know, obviously going through their own mental health issues, just being stuck in a tiny cage with no activities, they start going for the cocaine water and finally they would, they'd overdose. And then they created Rat Park, which is, you know, everything the rats would ever want, anything that a rat would ever want. And they stopped going to the cocaine. And you see that a lot of this has to do with social interactions, mental health. You know, we've been almost, you know, for so many years, you know, led to believe that it was just, you know, you take one off or you do this or you take one hit, you're going to be addicted for life because those receptors just latch onto you. And obviously there's a chemical dependence onto it, but it is much more social and a mental health issue and a health issue than a criminal justice issue. So um, until we start treating it as one, um, we're never going to get out of this. Yep. Yeah. And I learned that throughout this, you know, journey that we went on doing this podcast because I knew it was a mental health issue, but I think, you know, just the way society stigmatizes it, you just kind of throw it over there like this is something, hey, I don't know what's wrong with those people. They can't get it together. But we never like zone in on, OK, it's this person is has no one They, they you know, what I'm saying this is not a great choice. They're lacking some uh, emotional or connection or social like you understand what I'm saying, like they've yeah. been thrown away by society and think about how people walk around talking about getting cyber bullied, you know, getting, you know, not that it's not a real thing, but we're throwing people away in real life. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, imagine how that would make you feel mentally. So, yeah. yeah and I kind of learned so much more about that. And I was able to see it. The, like, like you said, with Johan Hari, that, that rap park thing was, you know, uh, it highlighted. It's not, addiction is addiction is a lack of connection yes and i'm not even sure that was the same episode but it, i would put those together and yeah <laughs> the knocking doors down book shares all the history and inspiration behind the carlos vera foundation and how it all started 
All proceeds from the book benefit the Carlos Vieira Foundation's Race to Be Drug-Free campaign. So what's that all about? Through the Race to Be Drug-Free campaign, Carlos Vieira Foundation raises awareness about drug abuse, donates to drug-free programs, and brings drug-free speakers into schools to educate youth. The Race to Be Drug-Free campaign's main program is the Gloves Not Drugs boxing program. This program is completely free for kids between the ages of 8 and 17 to learn discipline, strength, respect, camaraderie, and the art of boxing. The program was created to keep kids off the streets, out of gangs, and away from drugs. For more info and to get involved, check out carlosvierafoundation.org. I'm so frequently on this podcast and the other one that I do for parents and addicts in need. The opposite of addiction isn't sobriety, it's connectivity. And, you know, when you're talking about that makes me think of these young people that I'm seeing. So the trauma they're experiencing is at home. You know, maybe dad's gone, maybe mom's gone, maybe they're raised by a grandparent uh, and maybe they're coming home to abuse. Maybe there's drug use there, all the other nefarious things that can happen. And then they're going to a school where they're already having trouble connecting with anyone. And then the school's wanting to kick them out. So they've been failed at the two institutions where it would be nice if there's welcoming. And I know for me, when I was a late bloomer with my alcoholism, uh, once that trauma really got rolling and I didn't know how to ask for help, let alone thinking as a man, we don't ask for help. Boy, my alcoholism skyrocketed. So you're sending these kids now that can get, I mean, drugs have gotten cheap. Fentanyl. I've heard when I spoke with the uh, DEA agent said you can get a pill for a dollar. What What did the guy say? We we um, what episode was that? Was that the second episode where they were talking about how cheap it has gotten and the way that yeah I, I can't remember but yeah the price of that and everything is just dropped like it's so flooded a dollar yeah it's it, it's so readily available now and the, yeah one of the the major issues with, with fentanyl in, in particular is you know. Cocaine requires coca fields and coca plants. Heroin requires poppy fields. And there's this agricultural aspect that obviously it's very prevalent and there's, you know, that's still a huge issue. But with fentanyl, it's a couple people in an eight by 10 cooking this up and it's all chemicals, you know, so everyone becomes a kingpin. And so it becomes more potent and it becomes cheaper. And that's what happens with prohibition um, a lot of the times. And when you keep this as a criminal justice issue, it's going to get more potent. It's going to get cheaper. And it's going to get more prevalent. And we're seeing this, you know, fentanyl was really born out of the war on drugs and the yeah. prohibition and the lack of treatment options. Um, and only a criminal justice kind of, you know, machete instead of kind of this treating it as a health issue. And so um, you're exactly right. And, you know, children can just get it. It's on social media. You can use black. It's it's as easy as easy can get. Um, and then, you know, not understanding the harmful ramifications of what that does and kind of almost have to do it in the shadows. It makes it that much more dangerous. So, yeah, I, yeah. Yeah. The access is crazy for everything nowadays. Mm-hmm. For kids. Like even when I was a kid, like getting access to drugs that <laughs> you had to put yourself in risk. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. even porn is just on the internet. But back then, you know, you had to go out in the woods. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> find somebody old. It was never the decade you were in. You know what I'm saying? Like uh, the magazine you were looking at is from the 60s, but it's 96. You know what I mean? So yeah. And, and they uh, haven't piled uh, up on it. Yeah, like Timmy's dad found like a video. Yeah. Come on, man. yeah Timmy's fat dad found a video like under his bed. We're all going to Timmy's house tonight. Yeah, that's the only thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All too true. 
And I mean, yeah. you nailed a whole nother uh, issue too, because uh, a little more on my background. So I, my, my first drug I would say was actually pornography. I was exposed uh, to hardcore pornography about five, six years old. And that was the last thing I kicked out of my life. So, you know, we're seeing it with these kids again, this, this, uh, DEA agent that I was talking to at that, at my other job there, you know, he was saying when we've seen some of these phones from drug dealers or kids that have overdosed or something and we're seeing it 12 13 14 year olds they're exchanging they themselves with other kids their age hardcore acts and it's like what the pardon the language fuck are we gonna do about this when it's just so easily accessible and and so then the mindset if you don't have that mentorship is oh this is just what we do yeah yeah and then for sure yeah. Oh, I was going to say, you know, and we're actually kind of seeing the same kind of cycle with with pornography now. You know, I've seen multiple laws that have been popping up. I think Louisiana was one and I think Missouri and a couple other states where they're trying to prohibit it or you know, require this verification. And yeah, no, there is a huge issue, um, I think, with, you know, pornography addiction. And uh, particularly, as you said, the prevalence just increases. You can go online. It's very easy. Um, but are we going to, you know, lock up or arrest a 16 year old kid for, for looking at this. And that's kind of the fear that I have as you see these bills, like what is going to be that thing? So we do have this act that, you know, we'd rather people not, you know, participate in or limit or see the potential ramifications that overuse or abuse can get. And then we always just go back to the criminal justice system to kind of be that lever of government to, you know, do this, you know, social right. This is the end game that we get to. And you saw that all throughout, you know, history. And we're seeing that now with either with fentanyl or if it's marijuana or if it's cocaine or if it's LSD and it's not getting us into a better place. And again, that should be something that's treated as a, a health issue, not a criminal justice issue. Um, and we just cannot get out of this cycle. And you're just seeing it again and again. We're now with, you know, with pornography. It's yeah. it's the same story, different book. Change. Yeah. 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 Clayton, you were talking that, that you incorporate a lot of the the war on drugs so to speak into your stand-up comedy but what specifically was it where it became a personal issue for you were you just seeing it where you grew up uh, within your family well just seeing it everywhere once i'm really started getting it on getting on the road and, and doing shows just getting pulled over every every you know city every month every other you know like just getting pulled over getting harassed about do you have drugs do you have and i'm a weed smoker so Yes, I would have weed from time to time. But then, you know, you start getting smart about it. It's, hey, I'm not carrying more than I can eat. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're not worth going to jail for it. You know what I mean? Like, you start making sure, like, yeah, everything works. But you would still get things. And there would be times when I know I haven't smoked in the car and I get pulled over. And they'll tell me something like, well, I smelled weed when you drove by. When I drove by with the windows up, do it. Right. 45. You smell like, and so I just saw how they were operating and I would see how they would treat other people. And then I had people that started doing comedy that used to be in law enforcement and they would tell me, you know, this is where areas are concentrated. You know, a lot of times things get out of hand because one person is pulling somebody over. It's a slow night and the other officers decide to pull up. And that's when things escalate because some of these people are trigger happy, whatever you want to call it. Sure. And it's a whole culture of this big bust of everybody's dangerous. And so I was just seeing it. And so I would just make comparisons. I would talk about 
not believing in drug dogs and things like that because dogs just act how they owners act. You know what I mean? Like it's excited when you get excited. Like, so like it was a few things like that, that I had and they just came from like real experiences. And I just put them out there not thinking anything about it really just as, as, as what's funny. Like, like we say, laughing to keep from crying. Like, you know what I mean? Like, Man, if I if I get away from the police, like I'm like, wow, a, a joke is coming out of this. Like, you know what I'm saying? It has to. Like, and so it gets to the point where you just get creative with what you ask the police. I would confuse him if they, you know, <laughs> to disarm uh, them. How many miles per gallon do you get in the city? In the cruise? <laughs> like <laughs> just disarm them. Like, yeah. Uh yeah, laughter has that magic ability. Uh I know in one episode, um, you guys are talking about Lynn Bias and, uh, you know, the uh, was he a Maryland basketball player, right? I can't remember what college it was. But yeah, University of Maryland, yeah. yeah. Yeah, signed by the Celtics, died. I remember this as a kid, you know, as an avid basketball fan and player uh, of, of cocaine overdose. I mean, you know, when he got signed. But the guests made a comparison of, of it being a, a 9-11 level event. You know, and you guys had a, a, your take on it, but how do you guys kind of reflect on that episode and really that event in the uh, as a part of the war on drugs? Yeah, I, I mean, I I think in a, in a lot of ways he's right. Um, you know, I think you, you kind of see I, I see it a little bit more as almost like the the straw that broke the camel's back, but that straw was inevitable. You kind of saw this rise and this fear as as crack cocaine was starting to become more prevalent. And with a lot of different things, you kind of look back on how our world is our world. And it is just this kind of bubbling, bubbling, bubbling. And then this moment happens and it snaps. And it could have been Lem Bias. It could have been, you know, a pop star. It could have been, you know, a dignitary's daughter. You know, it could have been any one of these things, but it happened to be this. And the fact that, you know, Tip O'Neill's was from uh, Massachusetts. This is a huge story in the Boston Globe. Is on the front page of the papers every single day. It was just kind of this perfect storm. So I think it was a 9-11 moment because this is where we see mass incarceration really rise. The prevalence of you know um, civil asset forfeiture when you take people's property um, and no knock warrants and all these other things that you yeah. see that are kind of the calamities of the war on drugs definitely lead from this. But I think we are going to get here one way or the other. Um, maybe very similar as 9-11. So maybe it was sure. going to be the World Trade Center. But what if we stop that? Maybe there's another something or another. It just felt like this inevitability with other things bubbling up. Um, but it was that tipping point for sure. So in a lot of ways, yeah, I agree with Eric. Yeah. What about you, Clayton? Yeah, man, just hearing the stories and seeing like how it everybody was already against drugs for the most part, but this kind of motivated and you can see where the disparity came from between the crack and the cocaine because the fear they had put in people mm-hmm. about this is, these are people are savages on crack. You can't shoot them. You know what I'm saying? They take five bullets to the chest and they still going to come in your house and kill your whole family. So it, it was already ready to go. And then I think a lot of people didn't even really know like drugs were that bad, like recreational drug use is something that, you know, uh, on one of the episodes, one of our guests told us that's not going to be a thing anymore. No. And, and I feel like around that time coming out of the seventies, recreational drug use was, I mean, a way of life. Not everybody was doing it, but you know, you coming off the hippie thing, you coming off the disco era, you know? And so, 
you hit around in the 80s and people are still thinking it's like that. And I don't know how, the purity or whatever. And whatever took out Lynn Bias put everybody's antennas up and they were able to kind of use that. And they did it so quick and they did it so wrong. And the information they used was completely incorrect. But like Greg said, it was just a perfect storm. So Clayton, what you're telling me, uh, I mean, we had an interesting past two and a half years that media and government would never use anything to invoke fear in fellow citizens. No. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, never. <laughs> never. You can look at the news and they never like, yeah. When you, when you see the newscasters are scared, like that's when I worry. Like you're yeah. not supposed to be shaking. You're supposed to deliver straight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like when the flight attendant starts to get a little queasy. You're like, oh, yeah, we're we're in. We might be in some right now. Yeah, stop crying. Tell us what happened. Right? I don't know. Anybody yeah, and else Jason, some bullshit here. Yeah, go, Greg. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was just gonna say. I mean, but yeah, you kind of look at that and like when we talk about a war, it really is a war all the way down to the propaganda. Like you have to have that fear mongering. I mean. You look at like those old like dare commercials and, you know, all the, you know, just say no campaign and all this stuff. And yeah, Clayton talking about like, you know, crackheads or Terminator. Uh, I'm sure that's where they got the idea from. Like, I mean, like they really put the fear of God and it was really effective to people. But with that comes, you know, essentially with that fear, like, hey, this is a war. Now we can do whatever we want. We'll ask yeah. questions later and it should be OK because we have to win this war. But the people that you're fighting against are your citizens. They're people that are struggling. It's it's not enemy combatants, but right. we really turned it into that. And that's where you get a little crazy where you see this just like absolute you know nightmare scenario happen. But it's necessary because until you create this enemy, it's really no different than in you know World War II, what we, yeah. you know, caricatures of Japanese Americans and you yeah. know, putting them out like you cannot round up a bunch of people and put them in camps in California, unless you strike the fear of God and the rest of your society, it's just not going to happen. And we've done that with drugs too. Um, yeah. And that's something that like you really start to learn throughout this whole, you know, uh, podcast is that we, it really goes through the history going back to like Harry Anslinger and kind of the godfather of the DEA and how he used the fear of, you know, black Americans at that time to really start to criminalize a lot of these things and increase yeah. that. And, you know, you just see this pickup and it's the well, same, chat, you know, it's that, the same yeah. playbook. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's, it's pretty wild. Yeah, yeah. And you present something right there that I think makes a really good parallel to nine 11 is those policies that did change. Granted, I was pretty young around the Lynn bias stuff, but remembering it and then all of a sudden seeing it in the news and then now reaching where I'm at in life, you know, at 44 years of age and looking into the policy or laws and just speaking on the cocaine and crack cocaine thing, there was different sentencing. Yeah. Yeah. There, there was a big disparity. What was it like 18 to one at one point or it was a hundred to one initially See, 18 to one was reform. That's yeah. the reform <laughs> way. And that's still crazy. <laughs> Right? Jeez, that's it, crazy. The reform with a hundred to one, and they're chemically the same thing. Yeah, and and you know, I'm one of those people that that calls a spade a spade. Why was it? Because mo the vast majority of crack cocaine users were black neighborhoods. Yeah, is where it was, yeah. where it spread, where it was distributed, where it was sold. You know, I don't know. Sometimes we got to line this shit up and just call it what it is. Yeah, and that's what I saw too. A lot of the the, the racial uh, tones, just how throughout, going back to the fear thing, throughout history, you assign certain drugs to certain people. 
to certain types of people to, okay, give them, okay, the marijuana is with them and it's going to do the, okay, cocaine is with the black people. You can't, okay, uh, whatever this, this uh, opium and stuff, this goes to the Chinese so we can get the fear on these. And yeah, going back to like why he was harassing Billie Holiday and it really came down to her singing about what black Americans were going through in the South. Right. with that strange fruit. So it's like this, the, the the initial attack was some bullshit. You know what I mean? Like the initial thing that the reason for even going after this was because you felt slighted by this, this black woman and you knew that she had an addiction and you used that to sum up a whole race of people. So Here at Knocking Doors Down, we share the stories of people who overcome adversity. You know that already, but what you may not know is that our partners at the Carlos Vieira Foundation aim to help people who struggle with their own adversities as well. The Carlos Vieira Foundation helps those in need through their race for autism, race to be drug free, and race to end the stigma campaigns. You can also choose the Carlos Vieira Foundation as your charitable organization on Amazon Smile to contribute as well. To learn more and support these causes, check out all the info at carlosvierafoundation.org. I don't know if it stopped too much. I kind of, I don't know about you guys, especially digging in as much as you have, but you know, fentanyl is becoming that great equalizer here because the the vast majority of the people that I've spoken to families, you know, for lack of a better word, dealt with very affluent neighborhoods. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. And those pills and they're pressing up their own pills that aren't what they're supposed to be. Like, like I said, back to, it's no more recreational drug use. Like this is this is a big gamble. Anytime you you step out here, man, and it's scary. Yeah, no, it's it's it, it's in it's in everything. I mean, you know, and we we talk about it in the podcast. You know, prominent you know celebrities and athletes. You know, trying to do there. There's a guy. I'm a, I'm a big Baltimore Ravens fan, unfortunately. Uh, and you know, there was a, a player this summer that you know during training camp or you know in their off season, you know, tried to do cocaine and definitely didn't think that there's fentanyl and it. it was, and he had an overdose and he died. And that's happened all too often. It's kind of crazy. You have these two competing things where people don't realize it's in their drugs and they overdose, and now there's people that that's what they're demanding because they're prevalent. You know, because. You know, that's what they want now because of the potency, because they've gotten so used to it. And so, you know, we had a, an episode on fentanyl and our, our, our guest, uh, Sam Quinones, said, you know, heroin's not going to exist in five years. It's all going to be fentanyl. And um, that's a yeah. terrifying thing to hear. Um, and obviously it shows that our response to fentanyl and prohibition and utilizing the criminal justice system the way we are is just not working, because if that's the projection how the hell do you say that we're successful right now? Mm-hmm. I, I just don't know. Yeah. 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 Right. Well, and, the, go ahead, Clayton. Oh, no, I was just going to say when Sam said that, it was so crazy because he's like, there won't be any heroin in, in five years. And I was like, yeah. And then he was like, it'll all be fentanyl. And I was like, no. <laughs> like, it was the lowest drop. I was like, oh, I thought we were headed somewhere good. <laughs> right. Yeah, go ahead. My bad. Uh, yeah, we won't have people shooting up. Not Well, not yeah. heroin anymore, but. Right. Uh. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, shoot, they're starting to smoke fentanyl is what I'm hearing, too. But uh, yeah, it's it's bananas because, you know, kind of as we alluded to starting there, 
there is no experimentation because some of these kids, Clayton, like you were saying, the press pills, they might think they're getting a counterfeit Zanny, a Xanax or something, you know, they got anxiety and nerves, Percocets. Yeah. And and that's not the case. You know, there is no experimentation because they're gone. First time. Bye. Yeah. That's it. That's it. Uh, Frightening stuff. Uh, w- w- some of the positives for more on drugs though, that you guys have, g- have taken away from where do we feel positive? Cause I think gentlemen like us are the ones and, and, and so many people like us that, that are going to bring the awareness that this is a mental health issue. And if we deal that and cut the demand, you know, that's the only way we're going to quote unquote, win this war. Yeah, Clay, you want to take it or me first? I know there's not a lot of positive, but there are there's some glimmers. Yeah. I mean, for me, the positives are that there's people like like yourself and there's people like Greg, Greg and there's people that are actually listening and just seeing what's worked in other areas, other countries, other um, what they're doing in Oregon, what's what's actually having an impact. And I want to see those things through and knowing that, okay, maybe there is a way out of this. It, this, this works. It might not sound like it works because it, whatever it is, we're going to decriminalize or whatever thing. And that it sounds bad to people's ears when they hit it. But when you actually see it in practice and you see people are allowed to live, a, a lot of people get up off the drugs, you know what I mean? Like they're able to, because they've got a support system, they're going somewhere. So, uh, I think those are the positives of just learning that um, kind of what we started this off with uh, is it's, addiction is, you know, it's a disease, it's an illness. And we got to we got to treat people yeah. like in more ways than one. Treat people like people and treat people like they're patient. So, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we, we are seeing like a, a slow, not only kind of, I think, a, a social rise and a kind of a change in and think about addiction. You know, one of the pauses about the opioid epidemic, it did touch, you know, areas that were not really, you know, damaged or initially hit by, you know, the crack cocaine epidemic and things like that. Cause you know, like you were talking about, we're, this is suburban suburbia where it's happening. This is rural America where it's happening. Now people are actually seeing individuals that they know and they love and know are good people rather than some, you know, war enemy. And so it's your neighbor, it's it's you, it's your brother, it's your son going through this. And so I think that the stigma of addiction is slowly starting to erode. And with that is coming, I think, some pauses as we've seen, you know, medical and legal marijuana kind of moving through. Uh, we, um, we we interviewed uh, a gentleman, uh, Ismail Ali from MAPS, um, which is multidisciplinary advocacy for, I think, psychedelics. I, I think that's the... the um, uh, the, uh, the three more time. for you, um, <laughs> but they're doing these amazing things, how you're able to treat PTSD potentially, you know, with, um, with, with MDMA and, and we're starting to see, you know, clinical research come out about how to safely potentially use therapeutics rather than other harmful for means, you know, that we're seeing and how to actually wean off addiction. Then you see places like Switzerland where, you know, they actually said like, Heroin addiction is a medical issue. It's not a criminal justice issue. Let's treat your addiction rather than going through it from a criminal justice standpoint, which we know is woefully ineffective. We're seeing a lot of community groups um, that are coming much more about to, to try to like, help with this. And, you know, like you said, individuals like you, Jason, just working on the ground in the community um, is just so incredibly helpful. And, and that with that stigma kind of being removed, people are allowed to be more open about it. And podcasts like this that are talking about it, you didn't really have options to go to and 
you know, probably five, six years ago, let alone, you know, now like let it go in the 1990s and the 2000s when you were being ostracized. It was something you didn't want to talk about. Your family would suppress it. You know, they didn't want even want your, you know, is that sort of thing. And obviously that still occurs, but I do think that stigma is starting to leave and you're seeing all these amazing things happen. You know, I don't know if it'll be in our lifetime, but I do think there'll be kind of this continual move away from, you know, treating this much more like a you know, health issue than a criminal issue. Yeah. God, I hope so. And it's funny talking about the nineties and thinking about visiting my dad at Betty Ford clinic, uh, then, and you know, Hey, we haven't seen your dad in a while. Where's he been? Oh no. He's just busy with work. He's he, Bus- he, yeah, business. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Truck driver. He's just got a lot yeah. of hauling a lot <laughs> yeah. of loads, you know, one good thing did come out of that. Anna Nicole Smith was there when he was there. So I did get to see her. So, you wow. know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And then sadly gone. It was all, it was all worth it. Later. Yeah. Yeah. It was all <laughs> worth it. Thanks. Dad. Right. Yeah, that that 45,000 dollars uh which that's another thing i mean just the cost uh, you know as a as an individual i know here in california pretty much if you have um you know state care subsidized care uh, oftentimes there, there's no option for treatment there's no inpatient option right no absolutely you know one of the things that we've been advocating for as an organization is to see um, you know, um, medically assisted treatment, you know, come into jails and prisons. There are some that, that are doing that, but, you know, I, I know we, you know, we interviewed um, uh, Morgan Godwin and she literally turned herself into the jail thinking that they would help her huh. um, and be like, yeah. Hey, you know, I'm struggling. I'm strung out on heroin. Are you guys going to help me? They're like, go in that corner over there. You know, yeah. we don't, we don't care about you. And she had to go through weaning off and kind of the, you know, potentially almost dying in jail with no one to help her. She assumed like a lot, a lot of people do like, hey, we're going to be helpful to you. And you just don't see that in a lot of places. So kind of you have these individuals, at least if you're going to continue to go through the criminal justice system, like you have them right now. Let's you call yourselves a corrections department. Let's try to correct something. And you just see this holy lack of treatment. And, you know, and when you're on the outside, like you talked about, good luck trying to get you know, therapy or treatment or anything else, it is crazy expensive and, and people just kind of continue to go down the dark road. And so again, until that kind of mindset shifts, until resources are put in these types of things, instead of, you know, an $80 billion uh, correction system, you know, it, it's going to continue to be that and people are going to die. I mean, we're, and we're seeing it, that increase in death has been astounding and it's sobering. I think until we get a real um, honest, uh, honest policy from those that make a lot of these decisions that, uh, this, this is a, a follow the money issue. And we decide we're going to put it something somewhere else. I don't know that it's going to change or at least eh, not on a large scale. Yeah. I'm, it's something Clay and I talk about all the time. It's just like, where do the incentives lie? Yeah. And it comes from the top. So, you know, you see all these, you know, funding programs that, the federal government has and the metrics are, you know, a lot of the times drug arrests, like show your work, you know, that's the attaboy that you get. So if you're a line officer, are you going to spend a bunch of time in the suburbs or going after some major organization? No, you're going to hit a bunch of arrests because that's how you make lieutenant. That's how you make captain. That's how you don't piss off your, your boss. And that's how you don't piss off the government. You know, you see these types of things and all these, you know, it's called like burn jag and uh, community oriented policing uh, grants and all this stuff that came out of these major crime bills that was supposed yeah. to help support communities just became how many people are you arresting and how much money can we get for you? Then you look at, you know, civil asset forfeiture. And when you were able to take things from yeah. people without we actually even arresting keep. them or charging <laughs> them with a crime. Yeah, exactly. We have a, an episode on that. And, you know, it's all these incentives where we don't fund police departments in a certain way. You have to kind of, you know, eat what you kill. 
And so where are the incentives going to go towards those types of things? You know, they did a, a study in Tennessee where it showed cops were actually on one side of the highway other than the other. They are on the uh, the west side of the highway because the drugs come from the east side of the highway from Mexico up through the highway. And then the money's coming back. So they're allowing the drugs to essentially infiltrate within the communities. But once the money gets picked up, that's where they're going to start their, um, you know, their excursion. So it just shows you, like you said, like it's all about incentives. I don't think may, a lot of people are like evil, per se, but it's just we do it with all our jobs. You know, we're, we're going to follow things that, you know, make sense and help us drive or help our family or make our paycheck bigger. Like, you know, I don't think a lot of folks are. It's just where do these incentives come from? And, and a lot of that has to do with the war on drugs. It's been built that way. It is a system um, built to incentivize these bad behaviors by people all the way from the local up to you know the tippy top. Yeah, like you said, the civil asset forfeiture and them having to fund themselves with the money they get from the drug thing. And you realize how much you're getting paid. And yeah, that's why you have these police departments that have cars that are unconventional that they bring to the school. You know what I'm saying? The, the police department has a Corvette, but what? Like, you know what I mean? Like, and they got it from so-and-so or whatever. And I remember all that stuff from the like dare program. That was even back then. That was also dumb. Don't ever dare kids to do anything. Yeah. That's like the fastest way to get a kid to do something. I was a waste dare. of time. Was, yeah. Dare. Yeah. It was a kid that was like, oh, I'm, I'm trying to do it. If anybody double dares me tonight, I'm on it. Like, right. you know what I mean? Like, right. Come on, Clayton, you pansy. Let's go. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Triple dog dare you. All right. Well, give it to me. Give it to me, man. How do I do it? <laughs> do I like yeah. this thing? Yeah. They, they'd always bring in like kind of like 20 year old kids or like some video and they were all like super attractive and they're all look like they're having a good time until they're not. And like, I think you're a bunch of kids at an auditorium. You're like, it seems like a pretty decent time. Just don't be like the last <laughs> yeah. guy. Just don't drive. And then I'll be, this looks like a pretty yeah. fun party. Like, I don't know. Like, yeah. Yeah. Right. It was a, ter it was a terrible <laughs> so, idea. Yeah. So you're wait, you're telling me that Bill, the geeky guy like me at the party ended up hooking up with the cheerleader. What's the issue here? <laughs> right. Yeah. What is the problem here? So this is all right. So can you rewind that? I'm taking notes. Yeah. At this point. Yeah. Yeah. Be like like this? kids can smell the BS. Yeah. Yeah. I know. yeah. Yeah, and that's the other thing. That's the other thing. Once you find out what you said was bullshit, now you're trying to try more stuff. Like, you know what I mean? Like, when they told you that weed was going to make you hallucinate and you were going to lose your mind, and then you mess around and hit weed, you're like, oh, wait a minute, that didn't happen. But and then you're like, okay, well, what else were they lying about? Cocaine might not be that bad. Then it, You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. they don't know what they're talking about. Like, yeah, so... Please be honest with people and let them know. Oh yeah, I go in and I to high school share my story and I just go, hey, I'm not, I'm, I'm not just telling you right off the bat, I'm not against anything, but I'm going to share where my life took me and down that road so that you guys, yeah. just a cautionary tale, because that's all I can do. And I think part of that too, like, um, just drugs being illegal, it shows you how to be a drug user because you got to hide it. Mm. You know, even yeah. if you smoke weed, you got to kind of. Or, or you start finding people that do drugs who can get drugs. And so if you find one drug, you'll probably find another one, you know? And mm -hmm. so you start having to be sneaky. Like when you're a kid, like, you know, you got to run off. Okay. I can't, I can't smell like weed. You got to spray all the spray and use eye drops that never actually make it into your eye. <laughs> and you're trying to act like you're not high. And yeah. So I think that, yeah. that, that, 
That's a really good point. You do start to learn to hide it. 5150 is a lifestyle. We believe in pushing yourself, finding your passion, knowing your dreams and working hard, and always striving to make those dreams your reality. We believe life is too short to sit back and say, what if? Go after it, grab it, and make it happen. Being 5150 is committing to that long, hard road. That road you know is going to be tough, but the most rewarding. That's living the madness. That's 5150. If you're living the 5150 lifestyle, then celebrate by rocking the goods. So listen up. There's a special deal for listeners of Knocking Doors Down. Go to 5150LTM.com and enter code KDD20 and receive 20% off your purchase. That's 51FIFTYLTM.com. And then jails teach you like how to essentially be, you know, a criminal. Uh, we send people in there and they meet other folk that are much better at uh, either buying or selling drugs and they come out a lot worse than they were. Um, and then on the flip side, you know, we we learned a lot through, you know, how, you know, LSD had potential, you know, therapeutic uses, but kind of the advocates sometimes on the advocacy side, we see this marijuana a lot. They're not honest about, you know, potential side effects. Um, and ramification. That's a problem too, because we need just the right stuff out there. They want to suppress the potential harm, um, you know, of of some, you know, a, a child using marijuana. Like, hey, it grows in the ground. It's cool. It's like, no, it's not. Like marijuana can it, it can really mess you up. It can have, you know, it has psychoactive properties and the high concentrates of a lot of the things that we're seeing across the country right now. Um, you know, that could really have damaging effects, not just operating a, a vehicle, but just on your on your mental health. And if you don't understand what the harmful effects could be or the realities, because one, you know, one side's trying to essentially suppress this stuff. And then the other side's just trying to, hey, we want this stuff to be legal. We shouldn't say any of the negative aspects. It's just, we have to just be honest about it. And, you know, we see this with, with alcohol, um, where, you know, we, we, it's a, in a legal regulated market. We somewhat understand the realities of that. Obviously, it can be abused and taken to excess, but we at least know like, hey, if I have three or four glasses of wine, I know that there could be ramifications. At least like we're giving that option to there. And we understand that there's these things, but with drugs, like we, we can't just suppress, like we can't just say about the positive about like, hey, if you have, if you're sleep, you know, if you can't go to bed or you had depression, like, yeah, these are all great things, but you have to talk about the negative too. And I think we've seen that throughout history where advocates kind of just try to suppress that. And then something bad happens and that allows government actors to come in and say, we got to prohibit all this now. Hey, you know, Clayton, I was thinking about this. If you and I want to go speak to schools, we can just just change it from just say no to like, nah, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just have the nah, I'm, I'm good, good campaign. <laughs> nah, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because people aren't really that eager to, to give you free drugs. <laughs> no. Like, but- Yeah. I, I don't know anyone. I never had any point where I might have had someone like, hey, you want to smoke this? Oh, sure. All right. You want any more? It's $20. What? Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. You didn't know. You didn't know. Now you owed. I'm doing yeah. comedy. They try to pay you with everything but money. So <laughs> oh, it's a lot of, nah, I'm good. I'm, nah. Nah, pay me in cash. <laughs> The, the one exception to that is if you ever have a friend who um, likes to partake in cocaine, they are the ones that want to give that away to essentially everyone. And you'll be like, no, I, I, I've told you on five separate occasions. I did not want, I thought this was like really expensive. Why? It's like, no, they just always want sure. to do that. You're like, yeah, what is going yeah. on? Yeah. yeah. It's like and I said no four times. I'm good. Yeah, I understand. But yeah, we're out. Funny you bring that up. The one time I did use cocaine was exactly that. Like, no, man, we're all having fun. Come on. You know, yeah. drunk off my ass, of course. Yeah. Oh, good Lord. Yeah. <laughs> we're laughing about it. Kids don't do drugs. <laughs> yes.
Oh, shit, howdy. It's, yeah, because more than likely, they're not the drugs that you think you're doing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we're even find, hearing that there's uh, – um, I've yet to get a really good confirmation from anyone in DEA or there's a um, an organization starting to become modeled around uh, the United States that's in Fresno. It started called uh, Fort Fentanyl Overdose Response Team. And so I asked him about that, and he said, we've heard it, but we've not gone to any scenes of an overdose, so we can't confirm it. But, yeah, so who knows? Your buddy, you know, smoking weed, hey, this will get you a little bit higher than usual. So scary shit, guys. I mean, you know, lacing weed has always been a thing, too. So, I mean, it's probably like the natural progression, man, and that's that's, that's scary, too, you know? Yeah, because yeah, it used to be like angel dust was really common, what, like 80s or 90s? Angel dust. PCP in Florida, they uh, they put cocaine in the blunt, uh-huh. and that's I mean it's it's smoking crack pretty much. Yeah. Like I don't know how you, how it varies, but yeah, they call it smoking dirty, and that was like a Florida thing. So I would never smoke with anybody. <laughs> what what is the intent head. of that? So that you also get hungry? I mean, I, yeah, I don't yeah. I don't know, man. I don't know. That's a that's a harsh diet. <laughs> you need to lose weight that bad, man. Maybe you don't need it. Yeah. Ah, oh, shit. Uh, hey, uh, gentlemen, tell tell everyone where they can find you uh, uh, online, social media, more on the war on drugs. I know it's available on all major podcast platforms. A subscriber myself. Um, but anything you want to drop, letting people know more about the podcast. Yeah. So yeah, we're um, it, it's you know it's anywhere really where you get your podcast from. You type in the war on drugs podcast. It's from Lava for Good podcasts. Um, we'll have a, a page on loveforgood.com's uh, website there that you can see, and we're going to be putting you know some stuff and updating it as we we go along. But um, you know, the first two episodes um, we'll be dropping together, and then we'll just continually do one a week uh, from there, starting in late January. Um, so by the time you hear this, you know the the first couple will be released, and then stick with it. And then we have something called quick fixes uh, throughout the week that just kind of five ten minute little little things that left the cutting room floor. You know, just the kind of little you know things off the the steak or something like that or just a little sprinkle else that like just once you leave them more so just to kind of keep you satiated throughout the week yeah so much in the episodes like they were overflowing so it was something we still wanted to get out there so it was a good way yeah hey clayton are you gonna be are you out on the road touring yes i'm on the road I'm on the road. I'll be out. Uh, I'm actually on tour with a friend of mine, and I'm on the road. If you see me in your city, I think the next place I'll be is probably uh, Phoenix and San Diego. So I think that's January 26th and January 27th. So that's at the end of the day tour with Carlos Miller and uh, Chris Jones and myself and Nav Green. So, yeah, check that out. And, uh, yeah, man, uh, Clayton English on everything, and be sure to listen to the War on Drugs. And uh, yeah, I can't wait for people to hear it, man. Like yeah. if they like, if they like knowing information that that just makes everything start to click, they'll love this. And it really is. I'm, you know, I'm, uh, I've, like I said, I've gotten the first two as of this release. Of course, it is available to everyone else. And I, you know, I have a feeling it's going to be one of those uh, binge things. Oh man, I missed three episodes. How'd I do that? I go listen to all three in a row. So, uh, and I'm really proud of you guys to do this and 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 bring your your knowledge, perspectives, and 
and even a sense of humor to this stuff to get it out there and make it a little bit easier because it's uh you know it's a totally different realm than anything I'm seeing out there to bring advocacy. So uh, you know, just a thumbs up to you both for it, man. It's uh it's awesome. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. No, yeah, thank you. All right, random questions. Let me readjust here. All right, Clayton, you're first. Uh, if you could have any one superpower, what would it be? Oh man, I think. I think it's got to be teleportation, like, with no limits. Like, I don't want to teleport myself into a wall or where nowhere I'm, like, like I just want to be able to go wherever I want to go, even if I've never been there. I think that's got to be the best one. Yeah, like, I, will, I would think as a traveling comedian, just that avoidance of TSA alone is oh, a real man, I would love that. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, I would just, I don't need, and I, it could just be, I could transport naked. <laughs> like I would just transport right into a dressing room in somewhere. Like it's got to be like the Terminator. However, I don't need to carry luggage. Just if I can skip that, yeah, that's my superpower already. Uh, yeah, that would be. Yeah, I I can see. Yeah, just avoiding TSA uh, from the many. Uh, well, you know, uh, incidents got, you've had. I also, yeah. I have. Um, yeah, I have a lawsuit going on, being harassed by uh, TSA a little bit. So yeah. <laughs> That's a whole nother yeah. podcast, huh? That is a full podcast. Yeah, yeah. That's a whole thing uh, in and of itself. Yeah. I don't get harassed by TSA that often. I don't understand why. Huh. It's crazy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because you, yeah, you look like the heir to the airport. No, yeah. <laughs> I am Greg uh, Boeing. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Are you Andy Sandberg's cousin? Daniel Boeing Jr. <laughs> I, get, I get Sandberg a lot. Yeah. Are you? Oh, yeah, all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what about you, uh, Greg? What uh, what one superpower would you have? I mean, teleportation is pretty great. I, I think it's flight. I think that would just be awesome um, to fly around uh, and be able to do whatever the hell you want. It'd be fantastic. You can get out a bunch of stuff. You can go anywhere. You can impress your friends. I, yeah. I think just flying around would be great. Um, teleportation would be pretty great. Just avoiding TSA would be pretty great if that was just the only <laughs> thing, too. Yeah. I have to take my shoes out of the airport. Yeah. No, but I think flight. I'm going to go flight. All right. Sounds good. Yeah. All right. Uh, Clayton, you're stranded on a deserted island. You got one music artist's greatest hits and one movie. What would they be? Oh, man. All right. Just give me Outkast because I'm from Atlanta. So give me their greatest hits. I feel like that should cover Best hip-hop duo ever. Argue yes. with me. Yes. That's, I, I love to hear it. So give me Outkast's greatest hits in the movie. I'm going to say City of God, and I feel like I'll probably know Portuguese by the time if I ever get rescued. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Right on. I've not yeah. heard that for a movie. What about you, Greg? Uh, for music, I'm trying to go what would be a, something that you could kind of enjoy for quite a while and move through. I think just because of the the length of career, I'm going to go with like Billy Joel. I think just like, and there's so much different things. I know that was the widest answer in the world. Um, so it's on brand. However, well, like, I just brand, think man. like. Stick to the code. <laughs> yeah. Hey, hey, stick I got to run my brother. Yeah. But yeah, I just think like, I mean, he has just like, it goes through so many kind of different genres. It's piano. You can kind of just chill with it. You can dance to it. You can vibe to it. You can do a lot of different things. So I think. I go with that. And then movie, uh, I'm just trying not to embarrass myself and saying one of the 
dumbass movies that I like, like Varsity Blues oh, or Talladega Nights or, or something like that. Yeah. Uh, let's go with... Let's go dance with those wolves. How about that? All right. There you go. That was a good, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you didn't have to go serious filmmaking. That's all right. Hey, <laughs> mine are Prince and Star Wars. So, you know, hey, there you have it. I get it. that. Like, that hey, those are there's nothing wrong with that, man. Prince is yeah. definitely a good one. You, yeah. get, you get all the moods. I saw Prince live, I think, when I counted something like 31 or 32 times. Oh, man. I never got to see him. That's amazing. I went to Paisley Park, though, after he passed. It was a cool tour. I bet. I bet. Yeah. Uh, one more before I leave you guys with the uh, the final thoughts. Uh, pet peeves, just some shit that just annoys the hell out of you. I, apps. I don't think everywhere needs an app. Like <laughs> I have to have an app for the dollar store. Doesn't need an app. <laughs> right. Like for real. Like if you got to save money at the dollar store, then you you just need to reevaluate your whole life, man. Like. I, I'm tired of everything having an app you got to go to to use, like Target. Like they don't have cards no more. You get your points. You need the app. I, I'm so, yeah, I don't have the room on my phone is, is part of the problem. But yeah, that's just the latest thing off the top of my head. I was at the doctor's office and they're like, sir, you didn't check in. I'm like, uh, that's why I'm talking to you. No, you can uh, hello, do it yeah, on the I'm app. Yeah. <laughs> like, Look, ma'am, <laughs> give me that little clipboard with that ragged <laughs> pen and let me do it the old-fashioned way, man. I don't want to download this app. <laughs> exactly. Uh, what about you, Greg? Pet peeves. It's kind of on that. It's like automated stuff in bathrooms, and particularly when some things are automated and other things are not. And so you're just sitting there and you're like, I, I was fine just hitting the soap dispenser. I was fine turning a knob, like all this <laughs> stuff. And then I know where there's just paper towels next to me. And I'm just like, just pick one lane, man. Like, I'm just so sick of like, but it comes to, I think just like generally like automation of stuff that does not need to be. So Clayton, to your point, like apps at like these stores or they, you know, they make you like download an app at like airport bars and restaurants sometimes and it never works. And then the yeah. person trying to tell you how it works has no idea how it works. And you're just like, can I just talk to you like a human friggin' being and call it a day? Right. Like, what are we doing here? Yeah. Somebody um, take this and bring yeah. me what I asked for. Yeah. This is cash. I will yeah. pay for that burger. Like, I understand why older people are pissed off all the time. Like, I'm 30, you know, I grew up with computers. Like, I kind of get it. But, like, I yeah. can imagine my dad, like, 70, trying to go on a trip and someone's telling him how to download this, being like, F this. I'm just going to be a curmudgeon the rest of my life. Like, I get it. I'm I'm pissed off at 35, let alone 75, just having to deal with this crap. Like, I get it. Same here. I'm late to every Zoom meeting. The first time yeah. I click the link, it never works. Like, it's just one of the... <laughs> uh, Greg, you were saying that about the bathroom. I, have a, I was picturing, like, a, a germaphobe that the soap was automated, the sink was, but then the towel dispenser, you had to ring it yourself. Yeah, you have to hit the thing. Yeah, so like we so defeated the purpose of whatever this is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so washing his hands over and over till someone comes in. Oh, yeah. shit. You go to like, a, I go to like Ravens games and they literally have like automated soap dispensers and I'm standing next to a dude pissing in the sink and I'm like, all right, um, I don't think we're getting that. <laughs> Just like, God, this evening, yeah, what are we doing here? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, uh, well, this is the knocking doors down moment, guys, where uh, you kind of lend something just from uh, from your experience with war on drugs or life in general that you might want to drop on uh, on the, uh, a listener. What do you got there, Clayton? Oh, man. Um, let's see. 
what do I have for the people, man? This, this it, it's just kind of my motto, and you know, it's probably cliche, and people have heard it, but it's something that's been instilled in me. And you know, I just want everybody to know that you know, what's for you is for you, and you can't see the progress while you're progressing. But if you work hard at whatever you're doing and you do good work, it's gonna come back around. And I think that's the whole reason I'm able to even be on this podcast was just, you know, going out there and not not knowing, not making money for a long time, just doing stand up, not sure that this was the right path, picking, choosing, you know, stand up over a, a nine to five that would be a little bit more secure and a little bit more money and things like that. And to be able to get out there and people like value my thoughts that I gave, you know, five years ago and it's still relevant and it applies to what's going on and uh you know when people told me that like when i was doing stand-up oh well all you do is talk about weed and you can't talk about those things if you and then i went on to do last comic standing and i won doing those same jokes so just believe in you and a lot of times uh the world will catch up yeah yeah what about you greg yeah, I think that's a good ending. Yeah, most people are wrong. Uh, do your thing. I th that's it's normally good words of advice and bet on yourself. Um, yeah, I, I think going to the the war on drugs. I think there is like a notion that like, well, I don't do drugs, I don't drink, I don't do anything. Like, it's not going to affect me. So why should I care? And what the podcast really goes through is that like it does the war on drugs impacts you whether you are a user, have someone in your life that's using or not. Like it hits on everything. You know, if you wanted to get in the medical field and or if you're going to a doctor's and potentially need pain medication, do you know that you know police officers can actually access your medical records to see if you're being over, you know, potentially over prescribed an opiate? And, you know, we have these horrible cases of people that are terminally ill cancer patients that are being refused pain medication because, you know, uh, doctors are afraid that they're going to show up on a list uh, and doctors have been prosecuted. And obviously, pill mills are a horrible thing, but. You know, there are other aspects of this where people actually need a larger dosage to just function as human beings because of the debilitating pain that they have. And so uh, it hits on immigration. It hits on athletes. It hits on pop culture. It touches everything that we do and the things around us. The fact that Brianna Taylor's dead right now is because of the war on drugs and the no-knock war and the intrusions of our daily lives. You don't have to be shooting up to be uh impacted. So I think that's where people really need to understand how much of our world is actually dictated by this and how much intrusion in our lives is is capable and how many good things if you have if you're suffering from depression, the fact that we've suppressed all this research on potential therapeutics in other places because of the war on drugs. There's just a million different areas of this that just doesn't have to do with doing illegal substances that that really hit you. So that's what I want to leave people with is that um, it, you know, it opened it up for me and I work in this issue area. Um, the surprising areas that this, like the tentacles of the war gets into. So, um, yeah, that's what, that's what I'll leave you all with. And hopefully you guys check it out. Yeah. Podcast is the war on drugs. The link is in the description for the uh, listener viewer. Also, you can uh, connect with, uh, Clayton and Greg there as well. Clayton English, uh, Greg Laud. Thank you guys. This has been an absolute pleasure. We'll have to do this again. Thank you, Jason. Yeah, anytime, Jason, man. This was awesome. This is the Knocking Doors Down podcast featuring celebrities, experts, and everyday people who have overcome adversities, including addiction, mental health, 
and trauma to live purposeful lives. And that's what Knocking Doors Down is all about. This podcast contains the views and opinions of the Knocking Doors Down hosts and their guests to the show. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only. And because each person is sharing their unique perspective, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. Views and opinions expressed in the podcast and website are our own and do not represent that of our places of work. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or correction of errors. Privacy is of the utmost importance to us. For those wishing anonymity, people, places, and scenarios mentioned in the podcast have been changed to protect confidentiality at the request of certain guests. This website or podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever, including but not limited to establishing standard of care in a legal sense or as a basis for expert witness testimony. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast or website. In no way does listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media with their content establish a doctor-patient relationship. If you find any errors in any of the content of this podcast or blogs, please send a message through the contact page. This podcast is owned by KDD Media Company.